1: hearts a moment. Lord, thank you that you've overcome. And because of that, we can also overcome. Lord, we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers through Christ Jesus. As we open your word for just a few moments today, I pray that your word would be, Lord, everything I'm not, (laughs) that it would be powerful and convicting and Lord, it would just meet our needs and that we would be challenged and motivated. Uh, Meet us at our point of need, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 7 uh, will provide the foundation for our thoughts today. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, so go ahead and open your Bibles there. and uh, Just keep them open to Luke chapter 7, and we'll pick up our reading with verse 36 uh, 36 in just a moment. Uh, In our lesson today, we're going to talk about a party crasher. Uh, I don't know if you've ever crashed a party. That's kind of on my bucket list. I would like to crash somebody's party sometime, and I've always thought it would be so cool at a Royals game where they put out that amazing spread of food, you know, for people with Crown Club, Diamond Club seats, for those in the suites. And, And I've just gone by and kind of just... Drooled as I walk by all of that brisket and you know all kinds of just an amazing spread and, and and I've always wondered if as a Cedar County redneck I could act dignified enough for a couple of moments and pass for somebody important and I've really been tempted to do so but my wife is such a killjoy and she honestly doesn't have a risk taking bone in her body and so she's always reined on my parade but that's on my bucket list so you may be hearing about that someday. But but today we're going to talk about a woman who did indeed crash a party. She had no etiquette. She had no class. She was not invited. She waltzed into a party that consisted of the ruling elite, and she proceeded to do some things that were socially and culturally and religiously unacceptable. Let's read about this woman, Luke chapter 7, picking up our reading with verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come and come to his own home for a meal. So Jesus accepted the invitation and sat down to eat. Now, this verse starts out by talking about Pharisees. And if you were raised in church, and by the way, how many of you were pretty much raised in church? You've gone to church a good part of your life. You know, a lot of us and some of us fell away, whatever. But um, if you were raised in church, you know all about the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders and rulers But what we don't emphasize very much about Pharisees is that they were also the cultural elite. And they were proud of their heritage because in a sense they were considered to be Jewish purebreds. You know, back in those days it was very important to the Jewish people not to intermarry with people outside of their race so they could maintain racial and cultural purity. And if you were considered a a real religious Pharisee, then you had probably been successful at maintaining a pure bloodline. Now, as Americans, you know, of course, that concept is completely foreign to us. We've all come from other cultures. Uh, In fact, to say that you are a pure-blooded American, I'm sorry, but it just shows your ignorance. Uh, You know, unless you're a full-blooded Native American, your family at one point was an immigrant to this country. You know, just just quickly to illustrate this, my background, you know, the Trussell background is English. Uh, From what I've come to understand, and and I was not around it back then, but in 1622, uh, a young man by the name of, of John Trussell, he was 19 years of age, he came over from England on a ship called the Neptune, and that was the beginning of the Trussell tribe here in America. Uh, and your family immigrated here at some point as well, and, and this sounds kind of funny, but as, as Americans, we're all mixed breeds, but nobody's really registered, if you understand what I'm saying. You know, we, we've, we've intermarried with another culture, and, and, and I said that the Trussels are English, but I married a Linville, my wife's maiden name is Linville, and they are Irish. So ladies and gentlemen, I married a woman with Irish blood. And I googled what the characteristics are for, for those with Irish blood. And here's what I found. And, and I found this on, an, on the internet. Of course, if the internet says it, it's got to be true. Uh, but, but those with Irish blood are typically red-haired. They missed it there, or maybe just colored. I don't know. Also, it says they're potato-loving. Whiskey and beer drinkers. Uh, beautiful, good musical talent, and of course we can't forget the temper. And then it goes on and it says that Irish women are generally very fertile and can bear many children in a few short years. Ladies and gentlemen, that's my wife right over there. Um, And that's probably a little more information than what my wife wishes I I would have shared, but all of that to say that America is a melting pot of cultures and races. But 2,000 years ago cultural and racial purity, uh, y- you know what, that, that was a, a main priority. And uh, even though it's non-existent today, it could be existent back then. And, and so if you were a true Pharisee, not only were you super religious, but you had maintained racial purity. Let's keep on reading. So a certain Pharisee asked Jesus to come to his house, verse 37, a certain immoral woman heard he was there. And brought a beautiful jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. Try try to picture this, the emotion. She's crying. She wiped them off with her hair. The tears wiped them. She kept kissing his feet, putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who was the host, saw what was happening and, and who the woman was, he said to himself... This proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And really, probably what was meant there was she's a prostitute. Verse 40. Then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee. Isn't that awesome? Simon didn't say this. He just thought it. And Jesus sensed it. says, Simon, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied, go ahead. Then Jesus told him this story. And we're going to stop mid-sentence, and uh, we'll pick up this story a little bit later on in our lesson. Now, between the Old and the New Testaments, there are what we have come to refer to as the 400 years of silence. Now, this doesn't mean, uh, necessarily mean that God didn't speak at all during this period of time, but it, it just means that there's no written record of it. Whenever we finish the Old Testament and go to the New Testament, there is a 400-year gap of anything written that we have from, from God. Well, God broke those 400 years of silence by sending Jesus to this earth as, as a baby. And, and, and as Jesus grew into an adult, he, he began his ministry and immediately began turning the religious world upside down and began confounding the top rabbinical and religious minds of the day. For example, he saw someone with, with a withered hand, and, and he said, stretch out your hand, and the man did. He was healed. Um, he saw someone that, that was deaf, and, and so he spoke a healing word and, and basically said, can you hear me now? And he could. He saw blind people, and, and sometimes he would just declare them healed. Or on another occasion, it was kind of gross, but he spit in the dirt and made some mud, and and rubbed the mud in their eyes. But the result was always the same. They left there with 20-20 vision. Jesus even interrupted funerals. One day he said to a widow's dead son. Get up. And he did. And then one day he said to Lazarus. Who had been dead four days. And the decomposition, the decomposition process was well underway. Remember what the Bible says in King James Version. He stinketh. But, but Jesus said Lazarus come out of your tomb. And, and he did. I've always wondered if he smelled like death when he came walking out. So because of all of these miracles, the ruling religious leaders decided they needed to find out more about Jesus. And so one of the Pharisees named Simon planned a dinner party at his house, invited in a bunch of the purebred Pharisees as well as Jesus. Now, the the Bible doesn't say this, and this is just trussel reading between the lines, but I wonder if this invitation wasn't a bit uncomfortable for Jesus. And the reason I say this is because Jesus didn't typically hang with the elite. Rather, Jesus spent more of his time with the rough crowd or or the poor crowd, the ones that the religious elite judged and criticized. Which I was thinking about this past week and leads me to say this, that because of the people that Jesus hung with, you know, the immoral, the demon-possessed, the cheaters, the liars, the homeless... I don't think Jesus would have been accepted as a spiritual leader in this church as well as in many of today's churches. You know, the church world has encouraged people to to stay away from those kinds of people. And, you know, we've tried to create little subcultures where we don't have to be around the riffraff. You know, we don't want to be around sinful people because their evil might rub off on us. But but let me say this, and and I pray that God will drive this truth home. Just as Jesus was accused of hanging with sinners, may we as a church be accused of the same. You know, may we be accused of hanging out with meth addicts. Yeah, you heard me right. May we be accused of hanging out with alcoholics and lawbreakers and parole violators and, and felons not to be influenced by them, but to influence them for Jesus Christ. In fact, if everybody in our circle is saved, I mean the people that we go out to eat with or the people we play cards with, the people that we hang with, if all of them are saved, listen, then our circle is probably too small. Let me get more specific. If the only people we ever hang with are Saved brothers and sisters that we go to church with or go to Sunday school with or go to life groups with or even go to the encounter with. If they are the only ones we hang with, our circle is too small, too exclusive. And we're not acting like Jesus because Jesus hung out with sinners. Okay, so Jesus was invited by the religious ruling class of Pharisees so they could investigate him a bit further. They knew that he lined up with many of the prophecies that pointed to the Messiah that would one day come. I mean, Jesus was in the lineage of David. He was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. Jesus fit all of these things, but there was one slight problem. They had it in their minds that Messiah would come as a political figure that would overthrow the Roman government and make the Jewish nation a world power again. but Jesus disappointed them, and he kept saying this phrase. He kept saying, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. In other words, he was saying, my work on earth will not take place through the political process. Let, let, let's pause a minute here and make this truth intensely practical for us. Revival and renewal in America will not happen through the political process. You know, sometimes we think, oh, if we can get so-and-so in office, then we will see America turn around and we can have revival. I promise you, I promise you revival will not begin in the White House. Nor will it even begin in the courthouse, regardless of who becomes the next Supreme Court Justice. and. And yes, I'm all for choosing justices that stand for biblical principles, but revival will not begin in the courthouse. And furthermore, this may shock you and bother you, but revival probably won't even begin in the church house. And I know know some of you are hoping that I can preach good enough sermons and you're waiting on me to push the right button so we can have revival and sorry, it ain't going to happen. I'll never be that good. Don't look to the pastor. Don't look to the church house to bring revival. But let me tell you where revival needs to begin. If we're going to have revival, it'll begin in your house. And my house. In your heart. In my heart. What does Chronicles say? If my people will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways you know, God will heal our land. So when I get discouraged and frustrated and when you get discouraged and frustrated because it seems that this church here and most every other church in town and most every other church in America is dead and dry and boring, just know that the way to see a spiritual turnaround will start in your house and in your heart and in my house and in my heart that's where revival begins but anyway jesus confused the people by saying that hey my kingdom is not of this world in other words i don't play political games i, I don't follow the political process of this world now, let me just say this uh, and this is going to bother you i'm going to keep saying this a few times this morning but this will bother you for those of you that only watch fox news and you think that America is headed to hell in a handbasket because of them they're liberals or for those of you that only watch CNN and you think that the world is headed to hell because of them they're conservatives that don't want progress let me just say that America may be in trouble but I declare to you that the kingdom of God is not in trouble why? Because Jesus is still on the throne. And Jesus, by the way, he's not up for re-election. You can't vote him in and you can't vote him out. And Jesus was trying to tell the Pharisees that that he's bigger than politics and and he's bigger than factions and he's bigger than fractions. And just for your information, Jesus never did establish any religious organizations. He never identified himself as... um, As a capitalist, or or a socialist, or a royalist, or a colonist, or any other kind of ist. And, uh, And this is really going to devastate some of you, because some of you, this is going to be new for you. But I want to tell you that Jesus is not a Republican. Okay? Yeah. And for those of you on the other side of the aisle, neither is he a Democrat. Nor is he a member of the Green Party or the Libertarians. And he does not underwrite liberals nor authorized conservatives. And no religious group can lay claim to him, not the Catholics, not the Protestants, not the Evangelicals, not the Charismatics, not the Fundamentalists. Furthermore, Jesus did not incite the Inquisition, endorse the Reformation, sanction the Counter-Reformation, validate the Puritans, and he didn't even divide Ireland. He did not take sides in the Civil War. And again, some of you don't know this, but Jesus did not write the Constitution of the United States of America. Just saying here. And he doesn't need us to help him appear creative or attractive or cool. And he's not the champion of the hippies just because he wore sandals. Nor is he the idol of the hipsters because of the epic beard that he probably grew. And this is my favorite right here. Contrary to what your parents might have told you, Jesus didn't wear a suit and tie to church. Anybody want to say amen? Uh, And by the way, not to mention that Jesus probably didn't even go to church on Sunday mornings. Jesus, and and pardon the pun, but he is not hemmed in by the hymns in church, nor is he set free by spontaneity in worship. No one can manipulate him nor control him. Nothing surprises him or catches him off guard. He has never uttered the words, "Uh uh-oh. And I know I got way off track, but I wanted to get across that when when Jesus told those purebred Pharisees, my kingdom is not of this world, they did not come close to understanding the implications of that statement because he is above all, through all, in all. He's all present, all knowing, all powerful. He alone is God. Would you say amen? Amen. So, here are the Pharisees and Jesus at this meal. And most of the guests are pretending. In fact, most everything the Pharisees did was to pretend. They pretended to be holy. They they pretended to be spiritual. They pretended to be generous. They pretended to put a whole bunch in the offering by just kind of throwing in those coins to make it sound like a lot. They pretended to care for their neighbors. And Jesus saw right through their pretending. And the sparks began to fly because Jesus wasn't very good at playing the pretend game. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a setting where people were pretending. Sometimes it happens here in church and you see someone that tries to be, pretend to be spiritual, but you know the way they really live. And maybe they pretend at a church dinner. And this is what really is interesting. There's conflict between some people and they'll, they happen to meet there and you know, they can't get around it. They'll put a smile and, on their face and say, Oh, it's so good to see you. Yeah, everybody knows they hate each other. Well, at this dinner with the Pharisees and Jesus, all of a sudden, and here we're getting to kind of the core of our lesson, all of a sudden in the middle of that pretending steps a desperate woman. And I say desperate because for her to crash a party of the religious elite showed desperation unannounced, uninvited, she walked in and walked right up to Jesus. Oh, I know this wasn't good etiquette, but when it comes to seeking God, I wish we had more of that type of desperation. You know, we need people that will quit worrying about what everyone else thinks and worry more about what God thinks. We need to let our passion for God overrule our need for approval from people. And what I love about this story in this past week, as I was just praying and studying and thinking on this lesson, what, what I love about this story is that this woman stepped into a religious dinner. In other words, she walked into religion, but she bumped into relationship. Because within moments of walking in, she found herself kneeling in worship at the feet of Jesus. You know, I love being part of this church. And, you know, I can't believe you put up with me for 25 years. And I can't believe I put up with you for 25 years. But uh, but I love being part of this church because, you know what? You are messed up people. Just like me. And I love you. And I love you. You know, there's the tapestry of, of, of fractured and messed up people, and, and and we've made been made whole by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been cleansed, and we're now part of the Church of Jesus Christ, where we're family. That's what I love about this church. Well, what's interesting is that as this lady is worshiping at Jesus' feet, there begins to be some whispering. You need to learn this now if you haven't already learned it. Where there is worshiping, there's always going to be some whispering. And it's so ironic because it's so backward. Who was worshiping? The sinful woman. Who was whispering? The religious leaders. Isn't that crazy? you would think that it would be the other way around. You'd think that the religious leaders were the ones that were worshiping and, and, you know, this, this gal, sinful gal, woman of the street, she would be whispering, but it was the other way around. The religious people were whispering and judging and saying, Oh, if Jesus only knew who this was, he'd never let somebody like that touch him. Which leads me to say that religion always judges. Relationship extends grace. Religious people are always great judges of other people's sins, but it's interesting, they become great defenders of their own sin. And, and I read something interesting, and you don't find this documented in the Bible. A commentator suggested this, so take it or leave it, whatever. But he said, what first century prostitute? Because you know, Simon knew who this gal was. So he is just raising the question, what first century prostitute would have had the gall to walk into a religious leader's house without being invited unless she had been there before? I mean, think about it. While the whole situation was developing, Simon didn't say a word and And again, this is just surmising. The commentator suggested that maybe Simon was trying to keep a low profile because otherwise this woman might have exposed the fact that she had been to his house for business. Well, I love how uh, Jesus dealt with the situation. And remember, we stopped our reading mid-sentence where Jesus was about to tell a story. Let's read the story now. Picking up uh, reading in verse 41. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Jesus asked the question, well, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Well, that's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet? but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she's kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they're many. They've been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. So kind of boiling this down, what Jesus was saying, that even as religious as you are, Simon, you know, Mr. Pharisee, you, Mr. Purebred, you haven't even given me, and you know, I'm a rabbi. You haven't even given me proper honor. The only one that's honored me and worshiped me in this house is this broken and sinful woman that, by the way, you have judged. She washed my feet. She anointed me with rare perfume. And you, I mean, you're a religious leader. I'm a rabbi. What did you do? nothing you know I hope that as followers of Jesus we will never ever develop any feelings of I'm better superiority because you know we keep our nose clean you know we don't do meth we don't we're not alcoholics we're law abiding citizens and you know what happens when we're good We begin to feel like maybe we're a little bit better than that other person that is so messed up. But don't ever forget, and again, I was thinking about this this past week without Jesus. You could be the next Jeffrey Dahmer. You could be the next Ted Bundy. You could be the next Charles Manson. And so may we never get away from the message of that old hymn amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a what a wretch that's what you were that's what i was saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now i'm found was blind but now i see and so as messed up people walk into this church may we not be guilty of whispering but they may but may they receive a smile and a welcome and maybe even have a say, hey, come sit with me. And can can I just add this? This isn't in my notes and it really makes my wife nervous when I go off script because she never knows what I'm going to say and half the time I don't either. But um, what if somebody gets your seat? You know what? We've had people in this church and I'm not going to mention your names. Actually, nobody here, I hope, in this service. But somebody got your seat and you let somebody know about it. Oh, my word. You know, if there's ever a time an excuse to smack someone in the name of Jesus, maybe that's one, I don't know. Uh, Probably shouldn't even do it then. But you know what? We need to show grace and compassion. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be soft on sin, but we are to extend grace. So this woman walked in, knelt at the feet of Jesus and poured expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, wiped them with her hair and while she was doing this she was so broken, catch this broken, she's so broken she couldn't say a word. I don't know if you've ever been so broken that you couldn't even talk and I remember a few years ago I was broken over something that had taken place and I was so broken I couldn't talk. I couldn't even talk in detail to my wife and I remember one day I went out to my farm and it was winter time and it was so cold out there and we had six or eight inches of snow on the ground and, but it didn't matter. And I was too broken to care and I just began walking and I walked and I wept and I prayed and I worshiped You know what? I found comfort in the Lord. And this may bother us theologically because it goes against some of the stuff that we teach, but I believe that that broken woman without saying one word, with tears only, worshipped her way into a relationship with Christ. And that goes against what we sometimes teach. And, And I pray that you'll understand my heart here, but here's what we say, and here's what religion says. Okay, if you want to become a Christian, just follow these steps. You know, Pray the prayer, say these words and then read your Bible and go to church every Sunday. you know we have this formula. I'm afraid that sometimes we basically lead people into religion but Jesus didn't do any of that he didn't ask the woman to say the sinner's prayer, he didn't ask her to confess and tell everybody what she had done and He didn't ask her to raise her hand in faith. But Jesus saw that as she was weeping, he he clearly saw that this woman's worship did for her what her words couldn't. She wept and worshiped her way into salvation. As we head towards our our wrap-up today, I want to bring up a question. Where do you think this woman heard about Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? Because it just said that she heard Jesus was going to be Simons at Simons. And, and we really don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but would you just allow me to create a possible scenario that maybe caused her to hear about Jesus? And again, this is just speculation. But maybe, just maybe, a few days prior, she had been walking the streets and happened to see one of her fellow prostitute girls. And maybe this woman in our lesson said, hey girl, I haven't seen you in, in a couple of weeks. Where you been? And, and perhaps this friend of hers said, well, I'm so glad you asked. I've got to tell you something. Something that happened to me because my life has changed. And again, just speculating, maybe she began to give her testimony. Maybe she said, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking the streets and needing some money, trying to pick up a man for business. And and I approached this man, but when I got closer, I noticed, I, I noticed he was looking at me, but there was something different about the look. And I started to make my moves on him. But I noticed right away that the look wasn't a look of lust, but it was a look of genuine love. And he began to tell me about my life and my past and my struggles and he told me how God had another plan for my life and I didn't have to do what I'd been doing for a living. And something came over me and it was so strange and I I began to believe and put my trust in this complete stranger and it was like something immediately happened inside of me and my life was transformed and, and girl, I'll quit the business. No longer do I walk the streets trying to hook up with men. And you can't believe the fulfillment and the joy that I've had the last two weeks and maybe this woman in her lesson her heart started beating fast she said well what was his name and her friend said his name is Jesus and girl I overheard that Jesus was going to be at Simon's house and maybe she gave it a little slight smile and said you know where Simon lives don't you and, and maybe she said yeah I do but if you will just meet up with this man I know he can do the same for you as he has done for me I know that probably wasn't the way that all came down, but regardless of how she heard about Jesus, that sinful woman was so desperate that she crashed the party at Simon's house and ended up kneeling at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus was so pleased with her faith. And he said, woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, religion would have kicked her out. But relationships said, come as you are religion would have said you got to do this and this and pray this and go here and all of this and but relationship just said put your complete trust in jesus and if there's somebody here this morning that is maybe just feeling the load of sin i want you to know for the record that jesus is still saving amen he's still delivering no words needed you don't need a formula You don't have to confess your sins to me. In fact, if someone tells you you need to confess your sins out loud, just tell them to go jump in a lake because you just need to confess your sins to Jesus. Don't worry about the whispering. Just worry about worshiping. Just come to Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Father, I want to thank you for this amazing account in your word. Lord, thank you that you, you take our lives that are so messed up, our sin. Lord, you don't overlook our sin. You're not soft on sin and we shouldn't be either. But Lord, you forgive sin and you cleanse sin. Lord, I thank you that you gave us this illustration here of, of this wicked sinner that probably was a prostitute a street woman she made her living by selling her body and God thank you that you just showed that your grace is complete that it's full and regardless of what we've done regardless of the depth of our sin you're able to come in and cleanse us and so Lord if there's anyone here today that maybe hasn't taken that step yet their sin is great and it's heavy on them Lord, I pray that they would find hope in this story. They would find hope in your words. God, I pray that this moment that they would just come to you and they would do away with the formulas and all of the things that we've got to do. Go here and do this and all of that. Say this. and Lord, that we would just come to you. That we would place our trust in you. God, forgive us the times for that we've made Christianity a religion instead of just a relationship with Jesus. Lord, I pray for those right now that are just full of guilt and full of sin. They're carrying the load. I, I pray that they would just worship their way to Jesus today. Father, I pray this in your name. And Before we finish this service, finish this prayer, heads bowed, eyes closed. There's somebody here that would say... Joe, God has really spoken to me. Would you just pray for me? Just lift your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Just lift your hand. God has really spoken to me today. Would you just pray for me? God, I pray that right now, in these closing moments of this service, that these people that raised their hands and maybe others that didn't even go had the courage to do that, I pray that they would begin to worship their way into the arms of Jesus. Lord, that they would not worry about the whispering. Lord, they wouldn't worry about what everybody else might say or think or even their spouse. But I pray, God, that they would just come to you. And Lord, that you would make us whole. And Lord, for the sin that's in our lives, I pray that you would forgive us. And Lord, that you would truly cleanse us Lord, I pray that we would find deliverance. Lord, just as you said to that other woman, I don't condemn you, but I am going to ask you just to leave your sin. And I pray that we would have that courage to leave our sin. We may not be able to do it in our own strength, but with your power, we can. Give us that power, the resurrection power, this week to be able to do so. Lord, we thank you again for your presence and for your love. We worship you today. We thank you for your word. This week, let us make a difference for you. I pray this in Jesus' precious, holy, wonderful, majestic name. Amen